Good morning. It's great to be with you guys. Glad you could be here today. Uh, we are changing things up a little bit today. You may have noticed worship is a little shorter. We're saving part of that for the end because we have baptisms coming up. And we're also, yes, yes, that's what we're talking about. Uh, and then we're also going to be taking a break from our E2E study. So we're going to do just a short two-week sprint on walking in personal holiness. And so I'm going to be teaching today in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 to 16. Uh, if you have a Bible around you and you want to open it and follow there, you can. Otherwise, we'll put the verses on the screen. So while you're turning to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 to 16, I'll say, hi, my name's Kyle Denny, if we haven't met before. I am the youth pastor here, as well as the director of finance. So if you have questions about middle school ministry, high school ministry, money, no one ever asks me questions about that, but money, um, I'd love to help you however I can. Tonight is our last youth group of the season, which is bittersweet. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's a good thing to cheer for or a bad thing to cheer for. But yes, I love it. Um, so we, it's a special youth group. We're inviting fifth graders. So if you are ending your fifth grade year, going into sixth grade, we'd love to have you tonight. Um, it, for middle school, that's going to be from 4 to 6. High school, it's 6.30 to 8.30. We don't meet here. We meet at the old building uh, at 1340 Hazlitt Road. And then it's going to be a special night tonight, too, because we have baptisms there as well. And uh, our coordinator, Silas, said that he is breaking out those big bubble ball suits um, so it's going to be a riot. We're going to have a great time. If you have any questions about that, please come see me. I'd love to help answer whatever questions I have. If you're viewing this online, you can email me at kyle at nhchurch.com, um, but would love for uh, the students to be there and participate. I've bought you enough time. We're going to step into 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 to 16. I'd just like to read this out in front of us to give you a lay of the land. It's written... As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The word of the Lord. This letter, this first Peter, is written by the Apostle Peter, and I love the Apostle Peter. Like, he is a man that just ferociously followed after Jesus in his earthly ministry. Um, he is someone that Jesus called as an apostle, one of the 12, and then Jesus brought him into an even inner group as one of the three, and he showed him things and told him things that not everyone else got to experience at the time. And so likely this letter is written 30 years after Jesus has died and been resurrected. And I just think, man, what must that be like for Peter? for 30 years to chew on what you saw Jesus do, to listen and chew on what you heard Jesus say, for 30 years to miss having Jesus physically by your side, and for 30 years to lead the early church in describing and telling who Jesus is. And that's what we see him doing in this letter. He is writing to a group of believers uh, who are going through a hard time. Like they are following Jesus, and because of it, they're facing intense persecution. And Peter, as an apostle, as someone who has gone through intense persecution, he is writing to encourage them. And it's in the midst of that encouragement that we find our passage. 
Peter gives an identity statement. He declares in verse 14, as obedient children. A week or two ago, I was walking outside and I came across a construction worker and uh, he didn't look like he was having the best day, but I still asked, how's it going, man? Uh, And he said, I'm ready to be done. And I said, I bet, because I could see that he looked like he was ready to be done. And he said, yeah, I don't get paid enough for this stuff. He said a different word, but I'm gonna say stuff. (laughs) And with that, he quickly grabbed the sign, threw it in the back of the truck and drove off. And I was left thinking, man, our identity, it impacts the way we do something. So he, as an underpaid worker, it impacted the way he approached his job, the way he did his job. If you are going on vacation next week for Memorial Day weekend and you are renting, the way that you rent a house is gonna be different than the way you own a house, most likely, I'm making assumptions here. Your identity as a renter is different than your identity as an owner. For me, I care very much the setting I put the AC on as an owner. As a renter though, let it snow, right? I don't, I don't, I'm not paying that bill. Like it impacts the way we do things. And so Peter has just given us a very specific identity and that's important. He says, as obedient children. What would happen if we took that identity and we swapped it out with something else? What if instead of as obedient children, what if we said as underpaid workers do this? Or as volunteers do this? Or as potential children do this? That changes the flavor. That impacts the way we're going to do something, doesn't it? And so when he gives us an identity, we need to unpack this identity a little bit because that's going to be the lens that we see these commandments through. What does it mean to be a child of someone? There was recently a TikTok sensation, uh, if you don't know what that is, a a very popular video uh, on a certain social media platform. There's a TikTok sensation in which an 18-year-old was riding a bull, and it started out like normal. He was getting ready to go, the gate opens, and he, he charges out on the bull. He makes it a solid half a second, second, before he just gets bucked from the bull, right? And normally what happens is if you fall off a bull, it's like a trampoline, like you bounce back up, you wanna get out of there. There is this angry bull that's looking for something to trample. But that's not what happened. This teenager fell off the bull and for whatever reason, he hit the ground hard and he lost consciousness. He didn't move as the bull was trampling around and the bull hadn't noticed yet, but he would. What you see out of the corner of the screen is you see this middle-aged man, he jumps into the ring from nowhere and he starts heading over. He doesn't go to the bull, he goes to the teenager. And what he does is he lays down over the top of him and he shields him with his body. And by this time the bull is noticed. The bull is turning around and it's getting closer and closer and that man doesn't move. He is like a rock. The bull gets close to them, it puts down its head, it stabs at this pile of flesh and the man is still there. He does not move an inch until that bull is put into the pen and locked away and then he gets up. We find out in an interview later that that middle-aged man, that was the father of the teenager. It was the father of the teenager. And he said, 
he only had one thought in his mind, and it was, I'm going to guard and protect my child. What does it mean to be a child? It means you belong. Like that father would rather get trampled by a bull, possibly lose his life, to swap places with his son. He, he would rather protect his son than see his son get trampled on. And it's because his child belongs to him. Peter has been saying for the verse, first 12 verses of First Peter, you belong to God if you believe in Jesus. We have been born again, he says in verse 3, not into an earthly family, but into God's family. And he is guarding you. He is stepping over you. He is protecting you through faith. No matter what's coming, no matter what it feels like, he's guarding you. Because he has to, no. Because we deserve it, no. Because we are his children and we belong to him. There is immense security and intimacy in that. Your identity as his child, if you believe in Jesus, that's permanent. Look at the way Jesus says it in uh, John 10. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. That is a power statement if I ever heard someone. Like he's saying, there is no one, there is nothing that can remove you from my hand. I dare you to try. He's saying no one is going to snatch you away. No one is going to kidnap you because he's guarding you. The Apostle Paul says it similar. He says in Romans 8, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. And at this point, he just gets tired of listing things off. So he says, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Once you are a child, you are always a child of God. Our identity is as children who belong to the Lord. Peter is going to give us some commands but it's not so that we can become children of God. It's not so that we can stay as children of God. Our behavior does not earn us our family. And that's going to be really important. I need you to hear that because we're going to be talking a lot about behavior. Your behavior does not earn you your family identity. It just lines up with it. And so if you believe in Jesus, you're a child of God. You are desired. You belong. You're being guarded. But then Peter adds in the second component. He doesn't just say as children. He says as obedient children. Again, that changes the flavor of what he's going to say, doesn't it? The actual word for obedience is hapakue, and it always implies religious decision. So it is in a state of being compliance, yes, but the context always says in compliance with God. I have three kids, and this may shock you, but my kids are not always obedient. It's like they have a little sin nature or something, right? That's fun. I would expect uh, some fights. I would expect some tantrums over the big things. Like, you don't like dinner. Okay, I get that. You don't want to go to bed. I don't either. I get that. You, uh, 
<laughs> Other big things, show times. Shows are huge. You don't want to watch, or you want to watch more shows. I get that. But then they pick these little itsy bitty things to throw a big temper tantrum about, right? Like I gave them oatmeal in the blue bowl instead of the red bowl. Or they didn't get to go potty first. Their brother went potty first. It's fine. He warmed the seat up for you. Just go potty. Or you're going to the store with me. You need to put pants on. That's not even my rule. That is society's rule. I can't help you. You need to put pants on. And sometimes things will escalate so much. It will grow to such proportions that I have to pick whatever child is screaming and throwing a fit, and I walk them up the stairs to their bedroom. And you know what never happens? They never are suddenly like, oh, good. You know, they're never like, oh, I want to hear what dad has to say. They start kicking and screaming. One of them sometimes tries to bite me, which is not a good idea. That does not help your situation. Over the color of a bowl for oatmeal. Like, this is my life. What Peter says is, you belong to God. You belong. And it's not against your will. You are not kicking and screaming and throwing a fit with God all the way to heaven. No, no, no. You're in compliance. You are on board. You have obedience. That word, that word obedient, it has almost become cringeworthy in our culture, doesn't it? Like our culture is not about obeying. We're about rebelling, standing up for what we need to do, not obeying. When I hear obedience, I think dog. Anyone else? Obedience training. You put the shock collar on them so that they are obedient to, to you without thinking about it. There, there's a saying that says, Lord, please help me become the man that my dog thinks I am, right? Like they can have a loyalty, they can have an obedience that is not rooted in reality. It can be a thoughtless obedience. I'm sorry if you're a dog person. I'll do a cat analogy next time. But this obedience that Peter is talking about, it is not a thoughtless obedience. It's very thoughtful and it's very rooted in delight of the Lord. It's not us kicking and screaming and biting with him. It's not us just thoughtlessly obeying. It's rooted in delight. Listen to what Peter says in just this letter alone. He says in chapter 2, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Or in chapter 2, verse 9, this is what Pastor Joe is going to be talking about next week. It says, But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Chapter 4, verse 19 says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. Or chapter 5, humble yourselves, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. It is hard for Peter to talk about our actions as a Christian, to talk about our obedience without just bursting into praise and admiration and worship for who God actually is. And that's just First Peter. Goodness, that is everywhere in the Bible. Like it, This is not meant to be a thoughtless obedience. This is not us kicking and screaming. 
It's rooted in delight of the Lord. Look at the way one Puritan pastor Watson said. Uh, He said, uh, to serve God by constraint is to be like the devil. All the devils in hell obey God, but it is against their will. They yield a passive obedience. See, eventually even demons have obedience, but it's not a delightful obedience. It's against their will. Watson's not saying that obedience is always going to be easy. We're about to see that. But he says it's always worth it. It's rooted in delight. So as his children, as people that belong to God, we are characterized by our obedience. That's our picture for today. That's our identity. If you believe in Jesus, you belong to him. Like God is laying over you. He is protecting you through faith. Nothing is getting to you. But on top of that, we're not kicking and screaming the whole time. We're delighting in him. Now we get to start talking about what to do with that identity. This is where it gets fun. Verse 14 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. I'm a licensed accountant. I shamelessly like to budget. I like to save. That's part of who I am. That's how God made me. Um, But sometimes, some people will say that I'm a little frugal. They'll, They'll tell me that I'm cheap. And I'm just talking about my wife here. My wife will tell me that I'm cheap. But I'm here to tell you guys, that's not true. I am a best value kind of person, right? So I'm okay spending extra money if the trade-off is worth it. Well, about five years ago, I was uh, scheduled to be in a buddy's wedding in California. And so I was Googling airlines, and I found one airline that was a $200 savings, which was huge for me. And so I'm listening to other people tell me, no, 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 don't do that airline. No, no, that airline's cheap. Like, they, they don't have a great reputation. And I'm like, it's $200. I don't care if it's more cramped seating. Like, you have to pay for extra foot space. You have to pay for extra baggage. You have to pay for snacks on a plane. I didn't know that was legal, but apparently it is. You probably have to pay to say hello when you walk in. I don't care. Like, for me, it's $200. I can fast for five to six hours. I can be cramped for a little bit. I can shove everything I need for the weekend into this itsy-bitsy little 15-inch carry-on. Like, okay, I'm a little cheap. I'll admit it. I'm a little cheap sometimes. But I was hardened in my heart, right? For whatever reason, I cared about that $200 immensely. And so I didn't care what other people had to say. Well, as it turns out, I never had to worry about shoving everything into a little bitty suitcase because the airline canceled my flight two days before I was supposed to go on it. They did not have another flight available for me that fit my timetable, and there were very few seats on other airlines. So I didn't save $200. I bought a more expensive airline, and then I paid a premium on top of that because there were so few seats available. I was ignorant. Like, I didn't understand something the way that I should have. And unlike the saying, ignorance is not always bliss. Before believing in Jesus, you were ignorant too. Not of plane tickets, but spiritually ignorant. You know something now that changes how you used to act. You cannot get me to buy tickets on that airline. I don't care what the savings is. I have this experience, I have this understanding, and it changes the way 
I used to act. And so Peter says that as children, we're no longer ignorant. A few verses down, he gets to verse 18, and, and Peter says, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. This language, it is soaked in the remembrance of what God's children Israel went through in the Old Testament. They had to be redeemed from Egypt. And redemption is not this self-made comeback. Like redemption is not Tiger Woods turning his injuries around and winning the next tournament for redemption. It's not us becoming good enough for God for redemption. No, no, no. In the Bible, when we talk about redemption, it is a ransom payment to set you free. It's liberation. God redeemed Israel from Egypt from being their Egyptian slaves. Peter uses it of us because we used to be ignorant. We used to be enslaved not to Egypt, but to our sins. Your sin had you, and it demanded a price. God paid that price, not with gold, not with silver, not with Bitcoin, not with stock options. The bull was charging at you, and God redeemed you with the only thing suitable, himself. He dives in front and he covers you and he takes the full blow from sin. Jesus saved you knowing everything that you have done, all the sinful things. He saved you knowing every sinful thing you would do. He still loved you. He still stepped into humanity to swap places with you. He lived a perfect life and then he dies on a cross he takes the full brunt of our payment on that cross. And because of it, you can almost hear the shackles from our hands clink down at the ground. You've been set free. You don't belong to your sin anymore. You've been set free. You've been liberated. And when you believe that, man, you, you step out of that ignorance and into relationship with the Lord. Like that changes the way you used to do something. You belong to the Lord. And we're not kicking and screaming and biting. We are delighting in who God is. And so Peter says in verse 14, as obedient children, don't be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Now, conformed is not really a word we use in our vocabulary. It's not a word that I use in my vocabulary, but I use words like potty all day long now, so... A little different. This word conformed, the Greek means to form according to a pattern or a mold. What Peter is saying is you used to be molded by your sinful desires. You gave yourself over to those passions and they exerted pressure on you. They put grooves in your life. It set a pattern for how you behaved. Before you knew Jesus, you'd get drunk on the weekends. You'd sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend. You would treat people with contempt. And then Jesus came along and he disrupted that pattern. I like the way Jerry Bridges says in his book, Pursuit of Holiness, he says, what a strange kind of salvation do they desire that care not for holiness. They would have their sins forgiven, not that they may walk with God in love in time to come, but that they may practice their enmity against him without any fear 
of punishment. Your former lusts, they are enmity with God. What kind of strange salvation indeed, where you don't care about your sin, you just don't want the consequences of your sin. And so you'll come to church. Maybe you'll give God some lip service. You'll say amen to some stuff. But God's not taking that personal pet sin away from you. That's your sin. You're going to continue to be patterned after it. That, that, that doesn't sound like salvation to me. You are still kicking and screaming and biting and cursing. You're still walking in ignorance if there is a pet sin that you will not remove from yourself. You're not walking in relationship yet. Now let me step back and say as believers, we all have an old self. Like there were ways that I have been patterned after sin in who I used to be. And sometimes those sins still bubble up. They still command me to do things, and I have spiritual amnesia. I forget who I belong to. I think I belong to that sin. And so I do what that sin is telling me to do. Just this week, I'm writing this sermon, and it's not as far along as I want to be. And my wife is very sweetly asking me questions about that, which is not what I wanted in that moment. And it started to aggravate me. And so I started acting out in impatience. I started treating her like she was an inconvenience. I was unloving towards her while I'm writing a sermon about holiness. Like, do you see that I am not as far along as I want to be? Like, I want to follow Jesus so much better. But I also know. Like, I I am no longer ignorant. I know. And so I want to sever that pattern of sin. I'm always apologizing. I'm always asking for forgiveness because that pattern of sin leads to death and decay. And as soon as I am back in my right mind, I want nothing to do with it. It's not who I belong to anymore. This word conformed, I was reading uh, one theologian, and I, I like the way he described it. He said, conformed, it's the act of assuming an outward appearance patterned after some certain thing. We've been talking about that, right? You're patterned after your sin. But then he goes on to say, in appearance or expression which does not come from and is not representative of one's inmost and true nature. And I love that. Your former sins, the things that you used to do before you believed in Jesus, they no longer line up with the new nature that God has already given you. He's called you a new creation, and you are a new creation. You have a new nature. And so the way that you envy after your neighbor's stuff, the way that you just want their nice house, the nice vacation they're going on next week, the nice car they have, that doesn't line up with the new nature that God has already given you. That is yours right now if you believe in Jesus. Or the way that you gossip about people, The way that you trash talk someone behind their back and you point out all the annoying things they said or all the wrong things they said to shove their face down in the dirt, that doesn't line up with who God has declared you to be. That doesn't line up with your nature inside. The way and the frequency with which you look at porn or the way that you are pursuing sex outside of marriage, that does not line up with the nature that God has already given you. Your shackles have hit the ground You've been set free from that sin. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you don't have to do those things anymore, that those things are not good for your soul, but that they breed death? Why would you want to pattern your life after that? Peter says simply, sever the pattern. 
disrupt it. Don't belong to that. That's not who you belong to. The Apostle Paul says something similar in Romans 12 too. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Don't be patterned by this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Look, if you have an obedience problem in your life, that there's some sin that you are being molded after and you can't get out, somewhere you have a delight problem in your life too. Somewhere you are delighting in your sin way more than you know God. And the answer is not try harder, do better. That's not what we're to do. We're to be transformed. We're to be renewed in mind. That means that you have to learn or you have to remember who God is. You need to have that delight in who God is. And then you need to walk in light of that. When Peter, Peter gave us our identity, he used the plural. He didn't say as an obedient child. He said as obedient children. Like You are not called to do this on your own. You're called to do this in a community. You're called to do this in your church. Like if you have a sin that is strangling you, that you just can't get free of, drag that into the light and let us help you hack it to pieces. Like that is what the church is there for. We're not to be conformed. We're not to be patterned after our former lusts. So what are we to mold ourselves after? Uh, Peter says in verse 15, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. A little over a year ago, I was training for a long race, and so there'd be times where I'd be running for hours and hours at a time. And I, I got back from one of these long races, and my wife Chelsea showed me a video she captured on her phone, and it was of my youngest son, Finn. And uh, somehow he had found these gloves, runner's gloves that he put on. He found an extra backpack that I had. He found a hat that he put on. And what he was doing was he was running up to his older brother and saying, bye, Ziki, gotta go. And then he would run back and forth, up and down our house hallway. Uh, and Chelsea would eventually ask him, she'd say, Finn, what are you doing? And he'd say, I'm running fast. And so, my, uh, so Chelsea caught on. She said, fast like who? And he said, fast like dada. I feel obligated to say I was not running fast. That is not true. Um, but that's besides the point. No one had to tell my son to do that. Like, I don't even know where he found the gloves and the backpack and the hat. I never showed him where that was. He had a desire. He saw what I was doing, and he wanted to imitate it. Man, that is baked. That is baked into our human relationships. Children are like sponges. They absorb what you do, what you say, and then they start to imitate it, sometimes in a creepy way, right? Like my oldest son, Zeke, he's not yet five. He will say things and I'm like, you sound just like Chelsea. Or where did you hear that? You sound just like me. I didn't think I used that word in front of you. Like that's way too big for your vocabulary. Part of being a child of your parents is you're a sponge. Like you, you see what they do, you hear what they do, and you not only absorb it, but then you follow them in it, you copy them in it. See if you can finish this saying for me. If I said, like father, you would say? Like son. Some of you aren't confident in that, all right. If I said, uh, like mother, you'd say, like daughter. Or if I said, the apple doesn't fall far, you would say? 
from the tree. See, our culture recognizes this, these truths, and we've come up with sayings to describe it. Children are like their parents. And in the first century AD, it was ratcheted up even more. It was not just a natural interest. Starting at the age of five, children began to follow their dad to work, and the dad would show them the duties and care under them. It's kind of like every day is take your child to work day. Doesn't that sound fun? (laughs) Sounds very productive to me. And yet they are doing the same things their dad does day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out. And there starts to be a likeness. They know how to do what their dad does. Peter says, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Like father, like children. We're to be a sponge that absorbs all that Jesus is doing, all that we know the Father is, not just to absorb it to have in our head, but to imitate it. Peter's calling us to do something here, but how do you, honest question, how do you be holy? Like, what does that even look like? Let me start off with the holiness of God. The holiness of God is primarily understood as his innermost nature. What I mean by that is when Isaiah has a vision of the Lord in Isaiah 6, he doesn't just weep at how beautiful God is. He has this massive anxiety attack. He's like, oh no, woe is me. What am I going to do? Like, I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. Like, he had an awe, a realization not only of how holy God was, but how far short he was from that. Like God is insanely pure. He's intensely pure. He's divinely perfect. He is love. He is against all evil. He is holy. It's his godness. It's his otherness. It's how he's set apart from us. He's holy. And when Peter says for us to be holy, he's using the word hagios. And it means to be set apart. Something that is set apart, it's distinguishable. It's not lumped together. It's not blended in with everything else. Like God, we are called to be set apart in all of our behavior, not just some of it. In some of that we talked about in verse 14, some of that is severing the pattern of sinful behavior in our lives. Holy is distancing yourself from blatant sinful behavior. It's disrupting the pattern of sin but it's not an end in and of itself. You are to be set apart for something. Rather, you're to be set apart for someone, and that's God. It's why non-moral objects can be called holy. When Moses gets to the burning bush, God says, kick those shoes off. What are you doing? That ground is holy ground. And he's not saying that that ground is suddenly more moral than the other ground. No, no, no. That ground has been set apart. It's been set aside for God. It's to be treated differently. And so God says, that's true of my children, too. You are to be set apart. You're to be different. Fundamentally, to be holy is not to be patterned after a list of things that you do or don't do. To be holy is to be like Jesus. Jesus was the Son of the Father who delighted in his will who followed after him in everything that he commanded. Jesus was the one that could say, if you've seen me, you've seen my father, right? 
He stepped into humanity first and foremost to follow after God's will. And he didn't treat it like an underpaid worker. He wasn't like, I don't get paid enough for this. Are you kidding me, Peter? Are you kidding me? No, no, no. He followed God's will all the way to the cross because it was worth it to him. He delighted in it. We're called to be holy. We're called to be like Jesus in every area of our life. To be a sponge that not only absorbs who God is, but also imitates and copy it. Do, do you feel the weight of that? Like all of our behavior, not just some of it? How are you doing with that? Like if I were to put a non-believer, a moral person, but someone who doesn't delight in God, in you, and I put you guys back to back, and I laid out your lives across the table, what area of your life would look the same as someone who doesn't delight in God? Would it be the way you do or don't pray? Would it be the way you spend your time? Would it be the way you spend your money? Would it be the way you treat annoying people in your life? Like we could go on and on and on. Would it be the way you watch TV shows or movies, the types of shows and movies, the amount of shows and movies? Like the, the point is, are you set apart for God or are you blended in with the rest of our culture? Ultimately, if we have an obedience problem, we have a delight problem. Like we're forgetting something. We're forgetting who we are. We're forgetting who God is. We're forgetting who we're to delight in. Like the Holy One, be holy yourselves. And Peter says in verse 16, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The idea of being holy, because God is holy, it's not anything new. Like, this is what God has always planned for his people. It's why we were created in his image in a way that nothing else is. Peter is quoting somewhere from Leviticus when he says this. It's a book in the Old Testament, but it's really hard to know where in Leviticus he's quoting from because it appears so often. It appears in uh, chapter 11, verses 44 to 45. It's in chapter 19, verse 2. It's in chapter 20, verse 7. It's in chapter 20, verse 26. It's everywhere. You see, God's people, they had been enslaved to Egypt. And because they had been in Egypt so long, they were blended in with the people. They followed their practices. They followed their customs. And so after God saves them, he gives them the book of Leviticus, which is laws and instructions, teaching them how to live life, how to be set apart for God. Look at the verse uh, 20, 26 with me. God says, Thus you are to be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and I have set you apart from the peoples to be mine. God has already redeemed Israel from enslavement in Egypt. And now he's telling them how to live true life. He's telling them how to be his. It's a theme that's woven throughout God's relationship with his children. If you believe in Jesus, you have already been redeemed. You've been saved. Like you're no longer ignorant. You understand something, and that changes the way you used to act. Like you belong to God. And so God says, be mine. Walk in likeness after me. Not kicking, not screaming, not biting, but delighting in the good things that I've shown you. And I feel like I have to warn, if you don't have delight in God, 
If you are just trying to show him lip service, if Jesus is just your get-out-of-jail-free card so that you can keep your pet sin and do whatever you want without consequences, then be very careful. The way that leads to destruction is wide, and there are many that enter through it. Those are Jesus' words, not my words. You may not know God the way you need to know God if you care nothing about holiness. That's not me trying to scare you away. That is me begging you, come in. Taste how good God is. He's better than whatever pet sin is clinging to you. And you don't belong to it anymore if you believe in Jesus. If that's new to you, if that is stirring something up in your soul, please come see me afterwards. I'll be here at the front of the stage. If you need prayer for something, we have a prayer room. Please come see people to get prayer. Drag this stuff out to the light and let us help you hack it to pieces. That's what we're called to do. We're not going to heaven biting and kicking and screaming. And so let me just end on uh, some encouragement for us. In Philippians 1.6, Paul says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I'm not as holy as I want to be. Not even close. But someday I will. Someday when I leave this life, God will bring to completion what he has started in my soul. And that brings me so much joy. That brings me so much comfort. Because I just want to delight in him. I want to do it well. And someday I'll do it perfectly. But until then, and while I'm on this earth, I want to do everything I can to disrupt the pattern of sin in my life. I want to hack it and sever it off. Because I have to? No, because I belong. Because I delight in the Lord in a way that I've seen he's the thing worth, he's the one worth delighting in. I belong to him as his child. So I'm going to pray in a second, but then after that we get to watch people get baptized. We get to watch people step in obedience into what Jesus has called them to do. Let me pray first. Lord, I thank you that you give us our identity first before you call us to do anything. I thank you that if we believe in Jesus that we belong to you, that you are guarding us, Lord, that nothing can touch us, that no one can snatch us away from you. What powerful truth you've given us today. And I just pray that we'd walk in that, Lord. I pray that our delight for you would grow, that tomorrow we would love you more than we did today, that we wouldn't stop seeking after you, not just to conform to behavior, but to conform to you, Lord. We're grateful for you. I'm grateful for this church and the way that they're following after you. And I just pray that you'd stir up where we're not, Lord. I pray that you would use the Holy Spirit to convict us and convict us that we may look more like you. And it's in your son's name we pray.